that we have been forgiven much, and so we are free to love much. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I'd like to start with a really simple question. Who was the last person you had over for dinner? Now, I don't mean you went out and grabbed a coffee, or I don't mean that you went out to the pub and had a beer. I mean, who was the last person you had to your house for dinner? If you're anything like me, the answer is probably some of my friends. And this is great. Having our friends over for dinner is important. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. But in Luke 7, the passage we've just read, we challenge to go beyond this. We challenge to display costly hospitality. Now, when I say costly hospitality, I mean it will entail three things. First, it costs money. Next, it'll take time. And lastly, it'll take your emotional energy. Entertaining people at your house will always take some effort. You can be the most extroverted person here today, but the fact is, Jesus calls us to eat with the outcast, to eat with the sinner, to reach out. And however much you like people, that will be emotionally draining. And of course, this is hard. I personally struggle, in particular, to reach out beyond my own social circles. It's really easy to invite the people you know to your house, or at least easier than people you don't know. It's only been more recently, as I've lived in a real house and not on campus at university, that I've had the opportunity to invite people to eat with me. Before I had my own space, my own place to cook and entertain, I had God-glorifying hospitality demonstrated to me, but not by me. When I became a Christian, I didn't have any option to connect with a strong Christian community. For two years, all I had was the four Gospels in a magazine format, a magazine aimed at young, teenage, American, raised-in-a-Christian-household kind of people. Needless to say, this wasn't me. <laughs> These magazines and two Christian friends at high school were all I had. That was it. When I finally got my license and I could drive, I started taking, my to taking myself to church and to Bible study. I finally met some Christians. It was at this Bible study that I'd started taking myself to that I met the Moranis. They ran the young adults Bible study that I was attending, and it had between 30 to 40 people attend most weeks, which is a crazy amount of people for a Bible study. But not only did they host the Bible study, they fed us. They fed us all, each week. Faithfully and kindly, they would open their home and let us in. This wonderful display of hospitality, honestly, didn't capture my attention at first. I was a selfish and self-absorbed young man, and I just didn't get it. Having just moved out of home after I started attending, I didn't grasp the costly nature of this loving, hospitable family. With my newfound freedom at university, having moved out, I was struggling. I couldn't juggle all the new aspects of my life, the study, the work, my new faith. I was a mess. The Morani saw this, and they invited me to stay the night. Not just once, but every week. To stay the night on a school night, on the night that they'd hosted 30 to 40 young 18-year-olds, on the night that their house had been filled to the brim, when I am sure they were drained and tired. 
and they invited me to stay and be part of their family with four kids already. It was incredible. They were able to invite me knowing that they were forgiven and totally safe, that they were opening their home with a display of costly hospitality because they could welcome me into a community of grace and mercy. They knew what this woman knew. So here in verse 36, when one of the, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We see a pretty stock standard interaction here. I imagine many of you have had similar experiences. You run into a friend at the supermarket and you ask, what are you doing for dinner? It is such an inauspicious beginning. Of course, Simon the Pharisee and Jesus weren't friends. In fact, Jesus is trying to work out what is the go with this Jesus guy. Simon had heard around town that all the people said, a great prophet has risen among us. Yet, Simon's fellow Pharisees, his co-workers essentially, his intellectual equals, accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard. Simon, at least, was very curious, and so decides to find out for himself. Is Jesus a prophet? The scene is set. Simon has a question he wants answered this meal. Who is this man, and should I bother listening to him? Now, quickly, before we move ahead to the actual meal, there's some important cultural context that I should give, because a few strange things are about to happen and are happening. Firstly, Jesus was reclining at the table. If I was a bit more exciting, or to be honest, flexible, I would get down on the ground and demonstrate for you what this would have looked like. Instead, if we click at, quickly look at the picture behind me, which I have teed up, yep, this is essentially what we would have looked like. Upper body leaning towards the table, feet splayed out behind him. Secondly, a meal with an honoured guest was a public affair. Not in that everyone got invited and could have a seat at the table and eat, but they were encouraged to be bystanders and observers. It was common practice. It was a chance for the host to show off and a chance for the guests to be honoured and to speak. Thirdly, the host of such a dinner demonstrates concretely what they think of the honoured guest. They demonstrate what they think of them with the hospitality shown, what they do to honour them. Um, sorry. <laughs> In a culture where travelling anywhere was hot and dusty, some simple things were common. Water for your feet, so you could wash off the dust and muck. A kiss of greeting and welcoming, just to say thank you for coming. And oil to refresh your guests. Something to wipe away the sweat and grime from the day. Something to feel at home. With this in mind, let's focus on the meat of the passage. The contrast between the woman's costly hospitality and Simon's selfish hospitality. Now, even with what I've just explained, that guests were welcome to observe and to listen, verse 37 is still weird. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating the Pharisee's, Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. When the woman who had lived a sinful life hears that Jesus is at a public event, she rushes to him that she may display her thankfulness and her love. Now, it may seem a touch rude that this woman both doesn't get a name and is being highlighted as having a sinful life. 
But this is important. We need to know that this woman has a reputation. She's renowned for her sin. A common interpretation of who this woman is and what she did was that she was a prostitute. Now, whether or not this is true is unimportant. What we need to know, what Luke draws our attention to, is that everyone in town knew this woman was a sinner. And yet, here she is at the prim and proper public event, unashamed. In fact, upon arriving, she is so overwhelmed, firstly by Simon, because he has not met the most basic of expectations. No water, no kiss, no oil. This is scandalous. Scandalous by common decency. And worse yet, she knows who Jesus is. So she takes action. As we see in verse 38, she wets his feet with her tears. Tears of gratitude. She wipes away the dust and muck with her hair. And she goes above and beyond by using expensive perfume to anoint his feet. What a contrast. This woman, who isn't hosting, whose reputation isn't at stake, demonstrates a dramatic and incredible love for Jesus by this costly hospitality. While Simon drops the ball entirely, he's no host. Not only has Simon shown great disrespect for Jesus, but now that he feels he has his answer to his question, if this woman, this sinful woman, this woman with the reputation can readily touch Jesus and he doesn't knock her away, he doesn't recoil, he doesn't um, show the same judgment that Simon feels, he must not be a prophet. For surely, if he were, he would have shared Simon's judgment of this woman. Imagine it. Imagine yourself in Simon's shoes. You've put on this dinner. It's been planned perfectly. And then this woman shows up. This unclean, disreputable, sinful woman. He is enraged. But then it gets worse. She doesn't just come. She isn't just there. She is so bold that she sits at Jesus' feet. And then she washes them. How dare she? In a quiet, burning rage, he thinks to himself, at least I know Jesus isn't a prophet. Jesus knows Simon's heart, and here Jesus' chance to teach and speak occurs. He first does something subtle. Simon is thinking to himself, and Jesus answers this private thought. Jesus demonstrates his ability as a prophet by addressing Simon's inner monologue. Despite Simon's disrespect, I also want you to note Jesus' kindness. Jesus doesn't immediately jump up to point out Simon's flaws and all the ways that he committed a faux pas. But instead, he tells a parable. He wants to lead Simon to realize for himself. He wants to lead him to a point of self-awareness. And so he tells a story. Read it with me in verses 41 and 42. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, which will love him more? Verse 41 and 42 aren't part of the connect card. They aren't in the points that I've given you to summarize what I'm going to say. But this parable is key for comparing the woman's costly hospitality and Simon's selfishness. Put simply, Jesus tells a story of two people owing money. One person owes the equivalent of 
50 days wages and the second person owes 500 days wages. Imagining these debts as time, one person owes close to two months, the other over a year. I don't know about you, but I can personally tell you that when you're struggling enough to need to ask people to lend you money, it's a long time, even after you get back on your feet, even after you're stably supporting yourself, before you can dream of paying someone more than a year's wage back. Despite the quantitative differences between the debts, both of the men who owed money were facing the same penalty. The moneylender could have put them both in debtor's prison. The moneylender instead forgives them both. Jesus asks a simple question. Now, which of them will love him more? And personally, I think, Simon responds with perhaps the most humorous part of the entire passage. A very meek, I suppose, by now Jesus has a reputation. The Pharisees are beginning to learn that when Jesus asks a question, as Admiral Akbar would say, it's a trap. They know Jesus is regularly using their own answers and their own logic to dismantle them. And so Simon hesitantly starts with, I suppose, scared of committing to a concrete stance. I suppose, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You can imagine his sigh of relief as Jesus responds, you have judged correctly. Now, so far, I imagine most of us are thinking, none of this is particularly groundbreaking. We may even anecdotally experience the same thing. Having forgiven someone, we've seen them act with gratitude towards us in proportion to what we've forgiven them. Jesus then turns the spotlight onto Simon. As we've discussed earlier, Jesus brings up the contrast between Simon's selfish hospitality and the woman's. He step-by-step dismantles Simon's hospitality. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil. The woman, on the other hand, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She has not ceased kissing my feet. She anointed my feet with perfume. It is clear this dinner was only for Simon to showboat and to test Jesus. There was no love and no community involved. With this said, Jesus lands his final point. She has loved much because she knows I have forgiven her. Likewise, you have loved me little because you think you have nothing to be forgiven. Then in confirmation of what the woman already knew, Jesus publicly confirms, your sins are forgiven. The whole night, she'd been demonstrating her knowledge of this forgiveness. She'd been acting out of this knowledge. She'd been acting out of this comfort and peace. She'd been weeping with joy. And yet, there's a flip side. I hope you catch it. If this woman knows she's been forgiven much, and that's demonstrated by her love and costly hospitality, then the Pharisee, Simon, hasn't demonstrated love for Jesus. He must not know his debt. Simon has acted with no love, and thus must think he has no debt to be forgiven. The woman has displayed her love through costly hospitality. We're running a sermon on meals with Jesus, 
And so this passage uses the word love a lot, but I am drawing the connection to costly, costly hospitality. I hope you're with me because the words aren't there in the passage. Costly hospitality isn't from Luke chapter 7. But she, the woman, has displayed her love through costly hospitality. She's gone above and beyond the typical expectations. She's accepted the monetary cost. She's broken her alabaster jar of perfume. She took the time to come to dinner. She heard and rushed whatever she was doing, wherever she was in the town, she went to this dinner. And of course, she's embraced the emotional cost. She knew what these people thought of her. She knew what it meant to come to this dinner. She knew the judging eyes and the thoughts that people would have. She bore that emotional cost to love Jesus. And now we come to our motivation for costly hospitality. First, the tricky part. I have to encourage you to wrestle with the sin in your life, both past and present. This isn't pleasant. It isn't easy. But thankfully, it isn't to make you feel guilt. Look in verse 48. Read Jesus' words. Your sins are forgiven. Hear these words spoken to you. Throughout the passage, I've been connecting the idea of love to costly hospitality. And through Jesus, we have the ultimate display of this connection. As Aaron touched on last week in his sermon, the phrase, the Son of Man has come, is used three times. To serve, to seek and save the lost, and the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. We are welcome to a feast, a banquet beyond imagination, because God loves us. I'm encouraged to say, as I wrote this sermon, I began to think of various people in our church, people who are like the woman, not nameless and sinful, but loving and servant-hearted, willing to open their homes to strangers and friends alike, those willing to bear the cost of time, money, and energy. Of course, you might feel more like Simon. My money and my time. I can choose how I spend them. You might even think, my home is my space, my comfort zone. All these people here are such hard work. They're not like me, and I don't like them. Or you might have noticed, I'm exaggerating. I want to drive a point home. None of us think we're like Simon. But you might be thinking as we talk about meals and what we do during the week, I'm just so tired when I get home. I'm always so busy. I'm a broke uni student. I don't know anyone at Darabin. It's too weird to invite people to my house. I won't deny any of those thoughts. You probably are tired. You are certainly busy. And if you're a uni student like me, you're definitely broke. You may not know any people outside of your friends at Darabin. It is getting more and more uncommon for people to invite one another over for dinner. All of these thoughts, all of these reasons not to, that may have gone through your head, are a little bit true. But, an important but, this is where the rubber hits the road. As you come back to the cross, as you meditate on just how much you've been forgiven, you might, instead of thinking, I'm tired, busy, broke, find yourself thinking, those uni students might appreciate a meal, or that young family might enjoy a night away from home, or even 
that new couple at church looks like they would really appreciate making some friends. You can be tired, busy, and broke. But hopefully, as you think about the 21 meals a week that you eat, you can begin to think, how could I build community through costly hospitality? Please join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that our debts are wiped clean, that we are forgiven. Whatever act of rebellion we rage against you, any time we choose something other than to love you, you have forgiven us. I pray that the Spirit moves in our hearts to inspire us to invite the stranger, the outcast, the person we don't know, to our homes to share a meal. And I pray that through that, you may be glorified. In your name, amen.